With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Whether you seek adventure, search for answers, break down barriers, or see the world for what it can be, you're just what we're looking for. CIA is searching for women of all skill sets to join the Directorate of Operations and help protect our nation. Visit cia.gov careers. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes and today I am delighted to be joined once again by Natasha Miko and Lawrence Conley, welcome back, it's the Axon Bulletin and it's Tuesday, how's your week going? Groundhog Day, right. <laughs> we're I waiting. mean we're going to say exactly the same things again aren't we? Um, week's going fine, football's continuing to be frustrating and we're going to discuss very similar things again, it is indeed Groundhog Day Paul. It is. We've got Celtic ladies Dude, yeah. proud. Let's be honest. Cracking the weekend. They you are know, keeping us going. Hab's done us a wee favour. Mm. You know, you, you sure never can. know. What we eight goals behind, three points behind. It's well. 
It yeah. is doable. I mean, I'm going to uh, speak about the Celtic women's team um, amongst other things. Yesterday, I watched from uh, behind the scenes, I watched Tony Haggerty presenting his first Axon Bullet, and I thought it was tremendous. Uh, absolutely great lineup for the Monday Club now with uh, Russell Boyce and Amy. Uh, Kevin Graham will be joining Colin on a Wednesday from now on. So a wee shuffle of the pack. And uh, what really interested me was the way that Tony Haggerty is a wordsmith. We know that. He's, he's got a great way with words. Uh, but he spoke about reboot, rebuild, remember. And on today of all days, we certainly do need to remember. Um, and I think, Lawrence, that's why you're wearing your... And I can assure you, it's a green and white Celtic top. It's just it's really bad lighting in this studio. And it looks authentically black and white, grey and white. So uh, let's talk about the Lisbon Lions first and foremost, Lawrence Conley. Not only the top, but when I left the house, drove to the motorway at 21 miles an hour, on to the motorway, 67 miles an hour all the way here. I wish I could say the same last night on the way home. Three hours on the city bypass wasn't much fun. Uh, We're talking about the Lisbon Lions and, you know, I remember quite vividly the 25th anniversary, Natasha. So um, you looked at, at that time at the celebrations around about the Lisbon Lions and at that time they were all still with us and then obviously the 50th anniversary it was such a memorable season for Celtic and at that stage you're starting to lose some of these great men and year on year it is getting to that stage so I think we should always remember the Lisbon Lions but the big one for me is um, you know that's that star on the jersey that star above Celtic Park that's something for every footballer to aspire to no matter whether they come through the ranks at Celtic Park or if they come in from a far-flung country um, as someone who doesn't know much about the club. They've got to realise that that's uh, part of the heritage of this football club. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, The accolades cannot be higher for the Lisbon Lions and what they achieved for Celtic, for Glasgow, for the country. Um, And they will always be part of the history and the culture of Celtic. And every player coming into Celtic should know about these men and what they achieved and every manager coming into Celtic should emulate Jockstein and aspire to be like him. What they achieved um, was just incredible then. It was It's still incredible now. And it's an achievement we're never likely to see, see matched. So what we can do on this day is remember them, thank them for everything that they've done for us and appreciate the fact that there are still some of them around to tell these stories and listen to them as much as we can, read the stories and pass them on to future generations so that achievement is never forgotten and it won't be as long as the club continue to to mark it and respect it and the fans will certainly make sure that that is the case. Well, I think we do. We do take today of all days to remember them and uh, remember those who have passed, uh, obviously, and their families as well. We've spoken a lot, Natasha, around the former Players Association and how you know important it is to have that um, integrated with the club, so that year on year, day to day, even we can ensure that our former players are looked after. Um, and over the last year, I think it's uh, more important than ever because of everything that everybody's been through. But when I look back to that, you know, it was one of these occasions in football that was described as a fairy tale, Lawrence Conley. And over the last couple of months, we've been speaking about things like the European Super League. We've been looking at a possibility of a British Super League. Um, Are we moving towards a situation where there really is no fairy tales? You look at the European... uh, you know, uh, Champions League, you look at the cup final coming up on Sunday, I still call it the European Cup final, I've got to say, and there really is no fairy tales, it's basically richest v richest, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think 
that's why the European Super League was so poorly received. You know, they're trying to take competition out of it. Let's be honest. They're, you know what? There's a few American owners involved, and it, they just want as a money making machine, don't they? Uh, no competition. I mean, who was the, the last really small club to get out with the big leagues to get big success? Maybe Porto beating ourselves in the UEFA Cup final, then the next year winning the Champions League. It's harder and harder every year for a team from the smaller nations, isn't it? Even Ajax are struggling. It's yeah. It's, it, I think the cup. It's the romance of the cup, isn't it? It's it's always the chance in cup games. We know how difficult it is, you know, to win a cup. You know, some teams like St Johnston find it easy, but you know, I think there's a bit of romance there, isn't it? You know, a smaller provincial club doing a double. Are we going to see that in Europe again? Not of the. The big clubs have their way, uh, and, and and not. Um, I'm talking about what they're doing off the field, not what they do on the field. They're just trying to make it as much as a close shop as possible, aren't they? You know, stack the money, stack the odds against every small team, and you know it, it, it's inherently unfair. And surely it's not what sports about. Well, it's gone that way and I think it's gone so far down the line. Natasha, I always look at that side, uh, the European Cup winners. Obviously, we all know that they got to the, the Cup final again in 1970. But one of the stats I always remind people of is that from 1964 to 1976 in the 12 seasons uh, within that period, Celtic competed nine times in at least the quarter-finals of European competition, nine times in 12 seasons between 64 and 76. And we really were a European superpower. And it's important that we remember that. It wasn't just a flash in the pan. It wasn't quite an anomaly. We had a phenomenal team, a phenomenal management team. And I think that when we're looking forwards, it's always important to look back. It's always important to look back on these successes. Um, But as well as remembering, we've got to look at the reboot and the rebuild. Now you said before at the beginning of the the show, Natasha, it's the same old, same old Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Have, have we stopped listening to those in the know? Have we stopped listening to those in the press who are saying it's happening? It was going to happen on Monday, twenty fifth of May. What better time to to appoint your new manager? Absolutely. I mean, every in the sort of days leading up to today, I've had read a lot about how today would be the perfect day to appoint Eddie Howe. To be honest, any day for me right now would be perfect. Um, if the club wanted to play on some form of of slogan suggested by Anthony, like that reboot, rebuild, remember, I mean, there's great work that could be done around that if they'd wanted it to be today. It doesn't look like that is going to be the case. Um, and we are just going to, to get the appointment, as Amy suggested, on a random Thursday. And I think that will be it. And it's almost a shame, you know, I think what the club have done by delaying this for so long they've diluted any wow factor that this appointment is going to have I mean don't get me wrong I'll be delighted to get it done but when it is announced it's going to be more of a relief than a joy you know when we started talking about the need for a new manager when Lennon left the club and even before that we were discussing that how would be an amazing appointment. We even discussed the fact that he was maybe out of Celtic's league. So if we're able to attract a manager of that calibre, 
when we get him in, that should be a massively positive feeling. That should be delight from the Celtic fans. You know, I'm not saying it should be too dissimilar to when Rodgers came. You're a manager of a high calibre that we managed to attract to the club. How should be in the same ilk? By letting it drag on like we have, I think Celtic have diluted that that joy feeling that we're going to get and it is going to be a relief just to get it over the line. See, when you think back to, let's go back to when Tony Mowbray was announced as Celtic manager and then Neil Lennon first time round, Ronnie Dyla, Brendan Rodgers, Neil Lennon. Um, now your level of uh, euphoria, your, your level of excitement around these appointments, Natasha, would it be safe to say that the only person that really uh, built up that momentum and built up that excitement was Brendan Rodgers? Was there any other managerial appointments over that period uh, that you think uh, piqued the interest of the Celtic support? Do you know what I think it was about Rodgers is that it came from nowhere and it was done very quickly. Um it was only, you know, in the sort of days leading up to his appointment that there start to be murmurs of it. And the resounding feeling was surely not. Surely he's not going to come here. Then in a flash, there he was paraded in front of thousands of Celtic fans who turned up to see him. And that just contributed to this sense of excitement. You know, we were going for something massive. We had a massively successful manager come to take over at the club. What's happened here is the complete opposite. How it's been discussed for months. It's dragging on. Hundreds of names are being thrown into the hat rather than what they did last time when they went out and got Rogers. They identified them, did it behind the scenes, announced them. That hasn't happened this time, so it's not going to get the same reaction. Um, as good as a manager as Harry might be, he's not going to get the same reaction. And any other manager, God forbid, if we don't end up getting her and we do end up getting someone else, I can't even imagine the reaction that that's going to get because he will have to start his season and go through every game as being not Eddie Howe. Every decision, every point dropped, every substitution would be questioned with, oh, would Howe have done that? Howe wouldn't have done that. Howe wouldn't have dropped those points. So if we don't get Howe, and I think we will, but if we don't, God, I would feel sorry for anyone trying to come into that job that's not him. You know, I'll come to you in a moment, Lawrence, but you've made a good point there, Natasha, where you're thinking about um, we'll, we'll have this one eye on how until it happens, and I'm not even allowing the possibility of it not happening entering my mind at the moment. But do you think that the, the kind of hangover of the Brennan Rogers period um, was such that we always had Neil Lennon on quite a short leash? We were always thinking, well, you know, it's not as good as when Brendan was here. Oh, 100%. Um, um, you just have to look back at the resounding feeling when Lennon was announced on Cup Final Day. I remember walking out of that stadium, we're getting the notification through on our phones, it starts to filter through the crowd around you, and the feeling is disappointment. You know, let's be honest, it was a res- it sort of dropped off the feeling of having just won that cup. They snuck out that Lennon had got the job permanently, and when it was coming through, people genuinely thought it was a joke. People oh, no, check the authenticity, check it's a real Celtic account. Are you sure? What does it say? And then it began to set in that, yes, they had offered Lennon the job. So it was going to be very hard to go from a position whereby the majority of fans thought, he's not the right person from this job, but you know what? It's Neil Lennon, we'll get on board, we'll support, that's what we do. But it was always going to be very hard for him to come back from the feeling that the fans didn't want him in the first place for that job and thought that we could have got someone better. So yes, while we did support him, 
he did have that hangover and that difficulty of the feeling that we should have a better manager in place than this. When you look at that, Lawrence, because I remember it myself, walking back uh, as it was to the Beechwood, uh, where my car was parked with a parking ticket on it, which was nice. And you did hear people starting to discuss the fact that Neil Lennon had been announced. And it was. It was very damp, not only in the terms of the weather. Uh, it was very damp, the mood, um, at that point, where we should have been absolutely meteoric in terms of our moods and how we were feeling after such an incredible run of trebles. Um, Lawrence, at this moment in time, and I'm going to speak about some of the other things surrounding the managerial position at the moment, is Eddie Howe the equivalent of the Brendan Rogers type of announcement? And I know that it's going to be tempered, the enthusiasm is going to be tempered due to the delays, but is he as good as, at that time, the announcement of Brendan Rogers for Celtic? I think he's as close to as good as, yeah. I definitely think he's as close to, as, to, to it as Probably we could have got, uh, you know, EPL is always going to be headline, isn't it? If someone's managed there. I think a lot of this is just Celtic's communications strategy is terrible, you know. They haven't given a roadmap, you know, so we feel things are dragging out. If they'd planted a flag and said, look, it's John Kennedy to the end of the season, then we'll announce a new manager first of June. That's our roadmap, that's how we build up, I don't know, based on a product launch or whatever. It's, it's not the first time we've ever appointed a, a manager it's almost as if we're stumbling towards it that there's no plan of how we communicate to the fans how we manage expectations it it just seems to be like a vacuum and it you know nature holds a, a, a vacuum and as Natasha said it's you know a lot of the, the excitement of it's it's gone because or is it next week is it a week after there's been rumour after rumour I, I just don't see what Celtic can try to achieve with their communication strategy on it at all, or if they've just been laying it on hold, on, on fold rather, you know, just, we'll just see what happens, you know, uh, just say nothing this week and see how the fans are, or see what the papers say this week and react. Well, I, you know the thing with me, going back to October time, Natasha, where I finally said it on a Celtic state of mind, I think it's time for a change, I think Neil Lennon should leave, it's not working, there's something wrong, there's something seriously wrong at Celtic Park at the moment. Up until that point, there was an element of trust, and I'd seen the banners at Celtic Park, don't fall asleep at the wheel, pictures of Dermot Desmond, Peter Lowell, Neil Lennon, and, and I, I totally get all of that, and I'd gone to the games and I knew that we obviously weren't as uh, well drilled as the team had been previously, but there were signs that this malaise was setting in. I mean, it was clear that Rangers had the beating of Neil Lennon Celtic, you know, even as far back as the League Cup final, when we managed to scrape a win, um, virtue of, you know, not only against the running play, but one of the best goalkeeping performances we'll ever see in a cup final in Fraser Foster. But the signs were there uh, and it had kind of set in, the rot had set in. But there was always something, and again, in the back of my mind, I'm not going to say with hindsight, I always knew there was issues at Celtic Park. I just believed that they knew what they were doing. I, surely this team knew what they were doing behind the scenes, the backroom team, the boards. Surely they knew. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Director 
to consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. What they were doing, because they had led us to such a, a period and an era of dominance and success, not only on the park, but off the park and, you know, all the business side of it as well, Natasha. But over the last few months and even over the last couple of weeks, um, I have realised, quite frankly, that they didn't have a clue what the Celtic fans uh, were feeling. They don't have a clue at this moment in time what the Celtic fans are feeling. And what I'm going to say is this is not just because of the season we've had. This is also the communication that we've had with uh, certain levels of the club. They actually don't get it. And that that concerns me uh, immensely at this moment in time. And I'm just hoping that Dominic Mackay is a strong enough influence when he eventually comes in in the role that he's going to be employed in. I know that he's in at the moment. He's in early, but there needs to be a real sea change of attitude and culture within the boardroom at Celtic Park. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's the biggest concern for me. Like you, I was concerned, but I kept you know, faith in the belief that they will turn this around. I looked at the table, I calculated the points, I looked at the fixtures and thought, you know, that they can still turn this around. This is a good squad on paper. We've got everything we need there to go and win the league. And we hit hurdle after hurdle. The minute we had the ball in goalie incident and went some games behind... We began to recover from that before we hit another hurdle. We began to recover from that and then we hit another one. And I'm talking about the Ross County games, the Fed and Sparrows games, the first Glasgow derby, then January and the Dubai thing. We just hit hurdle after hurdle, which only kept making it worse and worse. And for me, it looked like the board were just trying to, you know, hold their water a bit, keep waiting and seeing what the next sort of phase would bring. And it only got worse. And I think that either there was no one else who wanted to come in and take on the job or they believed that Neil Lennon was the right man to get us through that period of turbulence. Um, If it's the latter, they were wrong. Um, Hindsight is, of course, a wonderful thing. But like you've touched on, one of the key concerns for me is the fact that they're still not aware of the situation we're in. Before the season, they should have made 120% sure that we were going to go out and win that league. Not just 100% that we were you know, capable of doing it, that the players were in position, the management team was right. They had to put it beyond doubt and deliver the one thing that the fans had wanted for so long that would have meant so much to this club and the club's history. If you're in the position of power that you can you know, ensure that that success happens, you have to just put it beyond doubt. They obviously didn't realise the enormity of the task that they were facing or what was necessary to complete it, and they didn't do it. And that's complacency. And we're seeing just a continued repeat of that. Have they not learned from what we've just seen? It doesn't seem like it. You look at the meetings that you know we've been a part of, the fans forum, the you know the trust, Celtic shared. They've all been part of these meetings, and everyone I have spoken to has, who has met with the club following the end of this disastrous season has come away so disappointed at how that meeting has went. 
because there's no acknowledgement of the board of how bad it's been. There's no roadmap for going forward. And there's a failure to recognise the hole that we find ourselves in. So if they're not recognising that, how on earth do they propose getting out of it? So, yeah, like you said, red flags for me. I can only hope that Mackay is biding his time in the background while working away at the club and ready to to really see through that change that's needed once he steps into his role. One of the biggest things about uh, any organisation the size of Celtic, um, but certainly the, the club that Celtic is, Lawrence, uh, part of your management needs to be crisis management. Things will happen that you need to deal with. And I always remember back to probably the early 90s on the front cover of Not The View Celtic fanzine, picture of the board, everything going wrong, dilapidated stadium, rubbish team on the park, never won a trophy for years, and the, the speech bubble was crisis, what crisis? I get the kind of same feeling about this board. I think they're so in touch. They're like an old boys club that they keep telling each other that everything they do and say is right, and we're the, the rabid fans that um, are demanding and we are uh, entitled and all the different various comments that were heard. And, and for me, I think it's the other way about. It's a complete flip side. And it's about time that, you know, if Dominic Mackay isn't able to implement that, then there needs to be a real shake-up with the personnel behind the scenes at Celtic. Yeah, definitely. I just get a feeling it's, right, we sell season tickets, we'll appear in the, the director's box, we'll have a lunch or drinks afterwards, and we'll just do the same the same. There doesn't seem to be any forward planning on it when, right, what if something goes wrong? What's a, a next stage here? You know, the, I mean, look at the manager, there's no communication, stra- clear communication strategy. If there is one, I, I don't know what they're trying to communicate to the, to the fan base. Even on, on, on season books, you know, th- there was an email come out. Yeah, it's, it's really haphazard what they do, isn't it? It's just like, we turn up at work, we've not really planned our day. We'll just see how things go. Yep. We'll see how things go, yeah. And if you question us, then you'll be described as being an entitled bunch. Uh, but give us your season ticket money. Uh, there's a lot of things coming out. I mean, I wasn't surprised to hear, Natasha, that Steve Clark was talking about the fact that he'd been interviewed. I thought that was kind of common knowledge. He'd been interviewed for the job uh, at the same time as Roy Keane. And uh, we know that uh, that was... You know, after Neil Lennon had left first time round, he was uh, eventually replaced by Ronnie Dyla, um, and he, he described himself as being a runner-up on that occasion. Um, a lot of people were talking about Steve Clark. He was obviously on the bookies list. I never ever thought this time round that it was ever going to be um, someone that we would look at seriously. And, I, and that's not because I don't rate him as a Celtic manager. I just don't think that's what we need at this moment in time. Steve Clark would come in. It would teach us how to defend. It would be a very difficult team to beat. I just don't think that's the type of manager. We need this. For me, the Eddie Howe appointment is one that not only is going to revitalise the fan base, I think that it's going to set in motion um, a, a set of circumstances that will actually be implemented for years to come. And I think that's what Brennan Rodgers tried to do as well. And I'm, I'm going to be very critical with Neil Lennon here because I think that in a very short space of time, he tore that up. He completely tore it up, and I think he set us back about three years. So the Eddie Howe appointment is massive, one of the biggest appointments in my Celtic support in life, and the job he's got in his hands is huge. That's the thing, Paul. It is a massive, massive job, and we have to recognise that. And absolutely no disrespect to Steve Clark here, because the job that he's done um, at his previous clubs, the job he's done with the Scotland side, is absolutely fantastic. But... 
we need to recognise how big of a hole we're in and we need the calibre of manager who's able to get us out of that. We need someone who has, you know, the experience, the knowledge, um, the recruitment experience of building a side. Um, and whether how has that can be debated as well. I don't know if Steve Clark has it. I think, like you say, we need someone who can come in and raise the standards of the club. I think Steve Clark would be a very good manager for a squad that's already in place. I think that he could take any squad in Scotland and get them to achieve some great results. What Celtic need is a full shift at the club. We need our youth department revitalised. We need that whole structure revitalised. The pathways into the first team revitalised. We need a new first team. We need a new culture around that first team. That's a big ask. Um, whether Steve Clark is the man for the job, I don't think that's the case. Um, I think the former situation I described would have been more suited to him. Um, I think he would have done a very good job with the squad that Dyla had. Perhaps a better job than Dyla did, given their styles of management and the players we had in place at that time. But now, in the situation we find ourselves in, Steve Clark isn't the right man. And Eddie Howe is, and it's just the situation we're in. The point about reconnecting with the fans as well is going to be massively important. The board need to make an appointment that is going to get the fans back on side. I think Steve Clark would be a bit underwhelming if the club had come out, you know, after Lennon had left this time round and announced that it was going to be Steve Clark. I don't think that would have done anything for fan engagement or repairing the relationship between the club and the fans. I think that would have fell a bit flat. But getting a Premier League manager like Eddie Howe is going to be seen as that step above a Steve Clark appointment and we need something like that to try and bolster this relationship again and to take on the mammoth task that we've got ahead of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to jump back forward here uh, between the subjects. We were speaking about Stevie Clark. We've seen last night Kilmarnock being relegated for the first time in almost 30 years. It shows you the remarkable job he did at Kilmarnock, that he was able to uh, turn them into a team who were very, very difficult, even under Brennan Rodgers, very difficult for Celtic to, to beat. Done so, so well. Yet you look at them now and they're also runs. But what I would say, Lawrence, um, I'm not going to have anything personal against any of the clubs um, as such, but I'm delighted that yet another plastic pitch is uh, out of the league. And, you know, there's a lot of talk online about why don't the clubs now just put this to a vote? Let's veto the plastic pitches. There's only one left in the top league. Is it time for us to do that? I'd love it if they did it. You know, there's junior teams out there that can afford grass pitches and good surfaces to play on I, I, I don't think there's any excuse for a Premier League team not having them you know what we were told oh there'll be all weather but there's been games off because plastic pitches mm-hmm. were unplayable because we're frozen it's yeah I, I would love them to, to legislate against it and say look you want to play the top two divisions it's grass pitches you know it's mm-hmm. it, it just makes sense that I don't yeah. don't see why you know if it, it's that we want to spend more money on players Will really manage your, your budget better. Surely the playing surface it produces a better game. That's what people want to see. Absolutely, That's what people are paying their money to see is to see a better game. And if you can get that from a playing surface more than you can get it from one player on the team that you're spending that extra money on. So. Yeah, definitely put it to the vote. I think so. Again, I'm thinking back, Natasha, to the time when Dunfermline Athletic. Uh, implemented a plastic pitch at East End Park which was unfortunate because I always felt that the playing surface at East End particularly around about that time was one of the best in Scotland and they've torn it up 
and this was under the Jimmy Calderwood, Jimmy Nickel era, and they laid the plastic pitch, and it was a, a company that uh, their ambassadors were Ian Rush and Jürgen Klinsmann. So, you know, we do attract sometimes to five some big names, and um, they too, I know that Ian Rush certainly was at the first game. Um, and what someone did... Because Klinsman was involved in the company that laid the plastic pitch, someone invaded the park naked, uh, a guy, and did a Klinsman, if you remember the Klinsman. But because it was an artificial pitch, his entire front was completely grazed and bleeding and all sorts. And uh, he walks off looking a bit foolish. And obviously, uh, I think the steward um, was trying to hide his blushes. And then the photograph appeared in the paper. It was the winner. Was that the, the Sunday Mail? That was the winner section, maybe on a Monday or a Sunday. Um, and around his neck was a Rangers crest. So why he was at the game, I'll never know, because Rangers weren't even playing. But he thought it was time to invade the pitch naked and do a Klinsman. That's my memory of plastic pitches, and that's where they should remain uh, <laughs> back in the 90s, uh, without a shadow mm-hmm. of a doubt. But I also think that there's a massive conversation to be had with clubs, especially after the pandemic. And this is something, Natasha, that I spoke to Dunfermline about when they were in administration and myself and a group of guys got together to raise funds to try and assist them during that bleak period in the club's history and you know we were talking about the fact at that time because they were being looked after by the same administrators as Harps because they were in admin at the same time was it BDO Lawrence? Mm. BDO and what the first thing they did is every job that could be done at both clubs was amalgamated so they had one groundsman and he was travelling back from Tynecastle to the Pars. Because, obviously, I mean, the stadiums aren't a million miles away from each other. So what that meant was one wage, it meant one set of equipment, and they were just moving them back and forth. And it made sense. And I think a lot of clubs need to start looking at that. Rather than laying a plastic pitch because they think that it might save them some cash, which I, I'm, I'm not convinced it does, or even make them some cash by, obviously, hiring it out... Why not just have some kind of business alliance within local clubs, Natasha? Let's get real on this. Scottish football isn't big enough for 40-odd um, clubs in the top four leagues. And it's even more now with the, the increase of the pyramid system. So I just think clubs need to get a bit smarter about this. Yeah, I'm sure there's definitely some business opportunities in there for a company to to look after more than one pitch, especially in the same sort of area. It makes sense. I can only echo what you've both said in terms of plastic pitches and happy to to have them gone. I think it's just it's not fair for the teams having to travel and play on some of the pitches of that quality and it gives an additional boost to the teams that do have them I mean you look at Livingston's point record on their own pitch last season in particular it's because no one else can play on it you know you're asking people who train and play on grass for 90% of the time to then go and play on a completely different surface while your opposition play on that surface every second week you know it does create that disparity Um, I don't like it I don't think it should be in the top flight of Scotland and yeah, relatively good result for the league in terms of promotions and demotions this season. We've got rid of two plastic pitches. We've got the Edinburgh Derby back. We've got the Dundee Derby back. So yeah, it can only be good for the the league going forward into next season. I I agree with that. The one thing I would say, I was reading in the press today that um, there's some kind of question mark around Peter Grant. Obviously, there's a Bournemouth connection. Peter Grant is in Dunfermline today, speaking to Dunfermline Athletic about the PARS job. So, 
you know, I'm not quite sure if there is a, a real link between, uh, you know, Eddie Howe's appointment and Peter Grant. I think that there's other opportunities there for Peter Grant to get back into management pretty quickly. There's been a lot mm. of people um, leaving their positions. John Yogi Hughes has le- mm. left Ross County. Uh, Nicky Mellon has left uh, Dundee United. How quickly they replaced them will be an interesting one as well, Lawrence. But when we're looking around uh, some of the other names that have been linked to Celtic, Enzo Maresca is is joining Parma and um, he was meant to be coming to Celtic as part of the, a team with uh, Fergal Harkin but the chat is that Harkin is still coming as a director of football uh, and that Richard Hughes uh, if that all goes through which we hope it will will be the chief scout for Eddie Howe so um, it looks as though the club have been working feverishly in the background and it's just a case of getting the right bodies in the right positions yeah I mean <laughs> I remember with Strachan was appointed apparently you know, in known for six or seven months that he was coming in and was doing work in the background and perhaps the way that that's the way Celtic operate, you know, they've got managers lined up but they certainly don't communicate that to you as if stuff is going on in the background or fellas with any confidence that they have a plan. You, you, you know, I think there's a, a huge disconnect that they don't, as you've mentioned, they just don't understand it and you're going, well, it's because you're so bad at communicating what you're mm. doing, we really don't have a clue what you're doing now. Uh, and if whether or not you care about what, what the fans think or, or not. Do they honestly expect, Lawrence, because obviously the the um, information we've been getting over the last week from various sources is that they don't expect us to talk about it in error. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more opinions uh, I mean it's 2021 there's more Celtic podcasts probably than any other club in Britain yet they're expecting us never to criticise the club Natasha I find that so a touch it's, it's incredible and I'm just hoping that Dominic Mackay implements a freshness of ideas within the boardroom by the way I'm not criticising a lot of the people who are working within the departments because mm. I, I actually do believe that they're working with one arm tied behind their back JP Taylor um, supporter liaison times one at a club the size of Celtic you go to a club like Feyenoord they've got about half a dozen mm-hmm. you know and you look at some of the media people who you know often they will answer your query at something like half past eight at night you know they're not even at their work but they're trying to catch up and ensure the engagement continues I think it's people in the kind of higher echelons of Celtic Park that really need to uh, revisit what this club's all about and how important the fans are to the club. So I'm not having a go at people within departments who are actually doing a very good job a lot of the time as well, Mm -hmm. Natasha. Um, Mm -hmm. But one thing I would say is that when Eddie Howe comes in, we've spoken a lot over the last couple of weeks about how the, the kind of signing policy hasn't really worked as well as it, it did. We went through a real kind of, you know, a wee purple patch there where we were bringing players in, a couple of million pounds, selling them on for big profit. And it was working. It was working for the player. It was working for the club. But I think that market's dried up. So we were talking about, you know, look at the success of David Turnbull, um, you know, that type of market. But I'm now looking at Hughes and some of the comments that have been made by Harry Redknapp, actually, who signed Hughes and Eddie Howe for Bournemouth when he was a manager. And he's talking about the fact that, you know, he casts his net wide, far and wide. And it's unlikely 
that he's going to be just looking at the Scottish market. Um, if that's the case, let's have a look at what we are going to be expecting in the Champions League. So the qualifying round two is where we are uh, going to be uh, entering the competition. And we will be playing either Rapid Vienna, Galatasaray, or is it Midgetland? Not sure how you pronounce that. I remember we signed Rasmussen from them, uh, which was uh, far from memorable. Now, the draw is made on the 16th of June. And the ties are played on the 20th or 21st and the 27th or 28th of July. Now, if you fail to win, what happens is you bounce into the Europa League third qualifier. If you fail to win that, you bounce into the Conference League playoff. So I'm looking at that set of circumstances. If Eddie Howe uh, and his team come in, they need to hit the ground running. There's no time um, to delay any of these moves in the transfer market. We are running out of time. We were running out of time nine weeks ago. We're even less time now. How many times can we say that we have so much work to do in such a short period of time? And the fact that we don't have anyone in place yet doing that work is massively concerning. Not only do we have a lot of players who are going to be going out the door, we need to find the players to bring in. We need to go through the negotiation of bringing them in. Then we need to gel a new squad together under a new management team and be ready to compete in these qualifiers at the end of July. I mean, saying that out loud makes it, you know, really all the more focused about how impossible a task that is going to be. The only hope that I can have is that Herr knows he's coming. He knows that that is going to be his job on whatever date. He's known that for a period of time. The negotiations around backroom staff are the thing that is ongoing and that Herr has had the opportunity to consider what he needs for the squad, to identify the weaknesses, to identify the players that he wants to bring in and that the minute that he's in that job with his new backroom team, they are ready to get those players in and they're ready to get to work. Even if that's the case, even if we are really ready to hit the ground running the minute that they're announced, it still concerns me how little time that we've got. Um, Even if we are managing to get the players in of the quality that we need and that the standard that we need, getting them, you know, to match fitness, to gel within a squad for these qualifiers is going to be tough. And it's something we always say. How often do Celtic go into these qualifiers so underprepared? And it's frustrating because the club just need to look at it from a business perspective. Spend the money early, go into these qualifiers and absolutely ensure you're getting into the Champions League group stages and you recoup that money. You know, that's the whole speculate to accumulate thing. They mm-hmm. never do it. They always take the risk and it never pays off. So if you're continually taking a risk that doesn't pay off, why continue to take it? The position we find ourselves in this summer is obviously a bit different, but unfortunately I'm very concerned about the results being the same. We've got some hard qualifying rounds to get through. Those teams you just mentioned are tough opponents Mm -hmm. and especially tough opponents when you've got half a squad See, the thing that you've said there is, um, you know, it shouldn't be surprising that we're still having this discussion at this moment in time. I mean, on paper, you would look at that and say, well, you're preparing for the Champions League qualifiers in your January transfer window. That's what you should be doing. What did we do in January? We brought in a right back on loan because we were struggling for right backs. So there's no forward planning whatsoever there. And I know that we were in a slightly different situation because we were on the cusp of uh, you know losing the manager at that point. And I think the even the, the boardroom who I've been critical of today would have known that that change was coming. Natasha, but it's ridiculous that we're still sitting here having the same conversation. It's ridiculous that you know, come the, the qualifier that we've just been talking about, we'll probably still have a makeshift 
defence. And you know, and it seems to be always the same way every time we go in. Even when Brennan Rogers came in, he had to make a, an emergency signing and bring Turi in because you know we were so short at the back. Um, just before I move on to Champions League discussions, Lawrence, uh, some of the names who are in and about the managerial vacancies at the moment: Peter Grant to Dunfermline, John Hughes. Uh, says that he wants to um, explore other football opportunities. The Dundee United jobs available. How do you see those two guys uh, fitting in to some of the, the vacancies in Scotland? Or do you think John Hughes has his eye elsewhere? I said that I'm not too sure. Would we take John to to manage the Colts? Would that? You know, he's got a record of developing young players, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Surely Celtic's got if some kind of plan. Surely we're not arrived at this <laughs> juncture and went oh no they're going to let us have Colts team I'm who's going so to manage sure. that <laughs> I'm not so <laughs> sure <laughs> well, by the way I made a suggestion today uh, I think I might have mentioned it before John Kennedy and even that uh, was met with disarray it was like absolutely no chance don't want him anywhere near the club that's the attitude at the moment that you know even the mere mention of John Kennedy's name <laughs> is getting just now so you're right the Colts managers are hugely important Let, let's Take this to a comment that's came in. And Kevin Ferguson comes in to say, stop pretending you care about women's football. So I think that's a good opener, Natasha, for us to start discussing it. Because we are, we are talking about Champions League. Um, and we are going for a Champions League spot uh, this season for the women's team as well. If not as champions and certainly as second placed in the league. Uh, when you see comments like that, <clears throat> Excuse me. When you see comments like that, how does it make you feel? All this time has passed. We've been talking about the women's game. Surely that that's tongue in cheek. And even if it is, it's unacceptable. It's just frustrating, Paul. And it's something that we really, really need to eradicate. Why wouldn't we care about women's football? We're talking about people playing for Celtic and going for you know a really great achievement. It doesn't matter that they're male or female. They're playing for Celtic, the club that we love, the club that we support. Why wouldn't we care about it? You take the weekend, for example, that Sunday night, Celtic played Rangers again for anyone that didn't see it, and Celtic got another victory to make that a green and white wash for the season with the girls beating Rangers every single time of asking. Every single game was hard fought. They showed determination, they showed fight, they showed grit, and they managed to get three incredible results in three very, very difficult games. Those results have now put Celtic into second spot and the chance of Champions League footballs in our own hands. And for anyone that joined us on Sunday night to watch our reaction to to that game and to watch our full-time reaction to the Celtic victory, I would challenge anyone to say that we are pretending to care about women's football. We were passionate, we were excited, we were uplifted, um, we were all buzzing about it. You can't fake that, that was true. And that is how we feel because it was that sense of joy of watching a Celtic team go out and get a great result. That's something that the men's team haven't really provided for us all too often this season. And All I can say to people like that is that you are on the wrong side of history. Try and change your views, give it a chance, and you'll see where the rest of the world has progressed to, and you just need to catch up. See, the the thing is, Natasha, I don't even feel that that, that what you're saying there are strong words. It's just, it's the basics. I mean, when we watched the Rangers game the other night, like you say, it was genuine. It was genuine uh, pleasure you were having from the fact that we were beating Rangers. Now, I always just think back and and try and say to people, right, how can we we try and find a middle ground here? Just imagine you've got two kids, a boy and a girl, and the girl 
is talented at football. She now has the opportunity where there wasn't in the past in Scotland to be a professional footballer. She could play for Glasgow City, Celtic, Rangers, maybe even Hibs. Um, and I just think that in terms of the opportunities that it provides uh, to you know a growing number of girls who want to play football, then it's got to be a good thing because we talk about you know the integration of kids in, into sport. We talk about how beneficial that is. I can only go on my my own experience and I know that growing up through my teenage years playing football travelling all over the country and further afield playing football was massive to your social development I mean by the time you were ready to go into employment for example you had had dealings with adults who weren't your own parents because you'd had to deal with coaches and coaches of other teams and people who had been setting up tournaments um, abroad you had the the work ethic that you required you had the discipline of ensuring that when you got to a certain age that you weren't going out bevying with your mates the night before games and you had to be at a certain place because there was also the responsibility of that and the team work and the team ethic. And I've spoken to a lot of people who are in coaching and what they say, sorry, in teaching, and what they say is that they know the difference between kids who have been involved in sport, Natasha, because they've got a completely different outlook, a completely different set of skills. So I just think that's one of the most important things. You can't just say, right, we can only have that for the guys. You've got to have that. So the only thing I would say, you might not be into it at the moment, Kevin, but think about it from the aspect even of a parent where you're looking at your two kids and, uh, you know, your young lassie at 13 comes up to you and she wants to be a footballer I think that's magnificent that's superb I mean Lawrence yourself when you're looking at your your girl if she was to come to you at that age she wants to be a footballer there are massive opportunities now for it yeah mate it'd be great and listen we've been criticising Celtic's forward planning but Fran Alonso's doing a great job he's just signed London Pollard you know with a bit short up front ideal get her in now you know a few games prior to Champions League uh, I know it's we don't have a manager in the men's team, but it's something we've been criticising even with you know the years gone by when we did. We weren't spotting the right talents and bringing them in at the right time. At least Celtic are doing it right. The women's team is building a good squad there. Mm-hmm. I know we're missing Sarah. She was away getting married. Sarah, first name terms, yes. Yes, uh, well Sarah Garden, yeah. Uh, but Lisa Robertson, what a game. What a second half, mate. Yeah, you know, she really bossed that midfield, didn't she? Deservedly mm-hmm. Women of the match Obviously man of the match there But I, I, I don't know that Maybe it is man of the match I don't know It's a uh, Player MVP Player of the match MVP Yeah Yeah absolutely Player of the match But what, what a second half she had mate I know It was great And it is genuinely enjoyable You know Sarah Ewan's After my penalty against City It was great to see her getting the winner Was it I'm looking forward to next season. I hope that we get that Champions League spot so that we can actually see it at Celtic Park and I think a lot more people will get into it and get the bug. Natasha, give us a wee overview um, around the remaining fixtures. We've got three games left uh, to wrap up this season. Yep, so we've got three games left. Um, Celtic are now ahead of Rangers in that second spot. Um, We win our next three games and that's it. We get to keep that second spot, which is Champions League football, which is an incredible result, Um, particularly when you cast your mind a few months back when some reporters were calling this a two-horse race between Glasgow City and Rangers. Indeed, is not the case. Glasgow City are still three points ahead of Celtic um, and eight goals for the better, but we do know that women's football games can be very high scoring. Mm-hmm. For example, Celtic still have to play Forfar. When Forfar played Rangers, Rangers won 11-0. So as much as an eight-goal deficit sounds rather large, it is possible to overcome over the course of three games. The 
big game for Celtic is going to be the one against Hibs coming up next. Um, that's tomorrow night. Hibs obviously just getting that great result against Glasgow City. We need to consolidate the victory against Rangers by, by beating Hibs and continuing in that second spot. And then I think it's going to come down to the last game of the season, to be honest, in terms of that number one spot. Glasgow City play Rangers on the final day of the season. Obviously, we could end up in the position where we would need a favour from Rangers. We would need them to beat Glasgow City in order for Celtic to get that number one spot. I think we can probably not count on a favour being done in that regard. Um, Glasgow City, though, are looking good for that 14th league title in a row, not taking that away from them. But if Celtic really are able to to secure that second spot, finish the season in second and get Champions League football, that would be an incredible result from the girls and what a job Fran Alonso is doing. Yeah, very, you know, the way that he approaches it, is so infectious, Natasha. He's a big part, I've got to say, um, when you're watching the game, of the experience because, he, <laughs> you know, the way he goes about it on the sidelines. Um, someone is coming in to do the bite to say Lawrence looks like he's been filmed in 1958. <laughs> now, what I would say, uh, dude, is that, yeah, the lighting, I keep saying this, it's no great in this this studio. Um, so that shows you because that is a green and white, uh, resplendent, colourful top that looks grey and white under these lights. I'm disappointed he didn't say 1957 1957 absolutely yeah 7-1 now David Kelly comes in this season's Champions League final <laughs> sums up football now the oil film derby two middle of the road clubs that are play things of billionaires FFP rules are a joke as well completely useless and by the way I do agree with you David because I think back to Man City and Chelsea Man City were always quite an iconic side um they were certainly, during the, the Man United era, under Fergie, nowhere near the force that they are now. Uh, so what changed? What changed to Chelsea? I remember Chelsea playing in the second tier of English football. Well, what actually changed was the you know two massive investments came in uh, to both of their clubs and they pumped billions of pounds in into a league that uh, also is a cash-rich league when you look at the broadcasting deal. So I absolutely get that. Um, and I'm pretty sure I did see at one point the cash-rich the cash rich table alongside the, the actual league table and it kind of goes hand in hand. If you've got more money, you're going to actually win the league. Now, financial fair play, not to be um, confused with Celtic and the fact that we are the rich club in Scotland because I hear that argument a hell of a lot that is completely different that's not because one person or one uh, group of people have come in and pumped loads of money into Celtic Celtic have built up um, a, a stable financial footing over a period of years since you know since Fergus McCann came in so it's not as though we've been given millions and tens of millions of pounds in, in prize money Natasha I mean you know winning the Scottish League actually isn't that lucrative it's been through you know really really good player recruitment up to a point has been through getting the merchandise uh, deals over the, the line record merchandise deals record season ticket sales mer record merch sales so it's nothing to do with uh, FFP because I've seen that argument a lot Natasha and I think people get a bit confused with that yes Celtic are the richest club in Scotland but it's on merit it's not because somebody's came along with a magic wand no, it's good financial management. Um, and it just thinking about that, you know, the Champions League final we've got coming up and how football has changed from that momentous day of today back in 1967 and how Celtic were, you know, a real powerhouse in Europe. And now it is these oil-rich clubs with their, with their foreign owners. And to me, that's 
that's sad. And I think if you asked any Celtic fan, would you rather, you know, have in place your club as it is with its culture and its heritage and its fan base or have it bought over but like in a similar way to Man City and Chelsea and dilute everything that it's about and turn yourself into a tourist club? I know. I think I know what the majority of fans would choose, and if that does mean that we are no longer to com- able to compete at these levels in Europe, then that just suggests that we need a shuffle in terms of you know this European league. Obviously, I made my thoughts on the European Super League very clear, but something needs to change. I don't know if it's the financial fair play rules. I don't know if it's the structure. Something needs to change to allow these clubs like like Celtic to, to be back where they belong in terms of competing in Europe and we're not going to be able to do that in its current form given the massive discrepancy in finances we just won't have that sort of funding available to us but that leads to the question that I've just mentioned, would you would you want it? Would you want Celtic Park to become the Red Bull Arena? Do you want a Saudi prince to come and buy your club? Would you want the, the tourist fans and everything that that entails? I don't know. They've they've obviously done very well to get to the Champions League final, but everything that they've they've lost about being the clubs they are, I'm not sure I would trade it. No, this is the big dilemma, and I'm sure that if and when that happens, we will discuss every nuance of that on a Celtic state of mind. David comes back in. Um, didn't I not say we we're going to spend tens of millions this summer and bring in a manager who's at the Euros? I did say that there's a huge investment, yes, not only in the team, but in the management team as well, and that is something that uh, will be implemented. My biggest concern, really, is the lack of time. We've, we've really left it late, and I know that a lot of that's down to the contract situation with Eddie and his backroom team at Bournemouth on the subject of the manager at the Euros no I didn't Um, I was asked though uh, way back when I said we need a change who the manager would be if I could get a manager and I I was making the decisions and I said Martinez so you can imagine the amount of guffawing and uh, sniping that thereafter ensued when I suggested that Martinez should come to Celtic Uh, but you've got to take that on the chin when you're doing a live show and you've got to stand up with uh, what you've said because someone will make a meme eventually Natasha of all the mistakes I've made this season it's incredible how much time these folk have got in their hands Mm. Um, now another thing I was interested in is huge changes are going to happen with the personnel but you look at a team like Lille winning the French League and you look at AC Milan coming second in Serie A and you think that you know I'm not saying we went toe to toe with AC Milan but there was there was periods of the games against AC Milan where I thought we competed really well and I think we got a couple of really good results against Lille does that give the incoming management team a bit of confidence to think that there's enough there to work with there might be the crux of a team there there might be the uh, the nucleus of a side that they can they can get a, a song out of get a tune out of Natasha what do you think? There is but we've been able to say that by the fact that the vast majority of that team team or a team that achieved you know a quadruple treble the squad is good on paper it's wild to suggest that this season we actually managed to take more points off the French champions than we did the Scottish champions for some reason it just did not come together domestically for us this season and there was a few occasional good results in in Europe again nothing like what we'd hoped for but it is there, the potential is there and the ability is there for perhaps a different management team to get a better tune out of. But will they still be there come the end of the summer? You know, when you look at that squad, the squad that competed in these games against Lille, that 
that did get some of those good results in Europe that did manage to pull for performances out of the bag from time to time. How many of them will still actually be there when when we get to the start of the league next season? So I'm not sure the new manager can place too much emphasis on the good performances of last season, as rare as they were, because how many of that squad will remain? You do have a good core there if we do manage Mm. to keep players like... Turnbull and Soro, McGregor, Forrest, you know, that's that's a good solid middle of the park. Not that all of them were playing in these European games, but there is still things there to work with and we're going to need to work with them. We're going to need to utilise them because everything around them is going to be changing. So while it is a big rebuild, there's still something there. There's still a lot to work with and it's just about enhancing that and supplementing that in, in the right way. And whoever so, the, the man that's coming in to do that has to has to do it pretty quickly. Oh, absolutely, and and you know that takes us on to the, the final kind of point of discussion. Uh, there's a lot of chat, Lawrence, around the the incomings and the outgoings at Celtic Park, as there always is at this time of the season. But my biggest concern really is some of the transfer fees that um, are being attached to the likes of Chris Ayer. There is apparently interest from Newcastle. Uh, Alton Edward is interested in Leicester. I've even heard David Turnbull is interested in Aston Villa. You would hope that we could hold on to Turnbull at the very least of those three. Um, I think I'm expecting Edward to leave this pre-season, but I've not given up an eye yet. But we can't be held to ransom by the, the cash-rich teams down in the English leagues when it comes to our, our prized assets I mean why would we it's not as though at this moment in time um, you know yeah there has been a, a huge loss in terms of the, the income over the last year but we, we can't be selling a player like Chris Iyer for 7 million quid no that would just be crazy I mean I, I think any if we get 20 million last year's contract it's fine but Chris Iyer for 7 million even David Turnbull for 7 million it's like you know how long ago did we sell Stuart Armstrong for the same kind of money and he's, he's doing well for Southampton and seven millions, really? Is that a first division player down there? <laughs> you, 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 you know, it's. But we've sold players, Tierney, Van Dijk, Armstrong to the Premier League. We've proved we've got players at that level that can mm-hmm. perform, and I think all three of them are sold a lot cheaper than they should have been. So, seven millions mm-hmm. for Ayer. It, 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 for me, it just kind of boggles the mind. You're going, yeah, we might have to sell him. He's the final year of his contract, but. Not for seven million, you don't have to sell. No, when you're looking at the the kind of legacy, Peter Lobel, Natasha, and and um, everything they achieved at the club, one of the big things that uh, he was famous for was his negotiation skills. I remember when Dembele signed for Leon, you know, and uh, their owner said that you have a prized negotiator there in relation to transfer fees, etc. Um, he's still in the building. Uh, for a wee while uh, yet uh, will that be to our advantage when it comes to the vultures circling Celtic Park I hope so um, I hope we can like to echo what you've both said we can't allow these players to go on the cheap just become, because they're coming from the Scottish League and I hope that that is something that Peter really believes in as well and I think it is I think he does support and value the Scottish League and the talent that we have there and doesn't let it get undersold and I hope he would continue that if he is the one negotiating any exits for these players because I think from you know perhaps an English or European perspective they are looking at the Scottish League and Scottish purchases as a risk but you can just point to the track record that we have had in selling players at Tierney at Dembele at Van Dijk at Armstrong Wanyama we is not that risky, you know. It isn't as much of a risk as they think it is. We've managed to buy, produce, develop 
some really, real quality players who, in the end, it looks like we've actually, you know, been undersold for. Like, we could have got more for them. You look at the value we got for for Tierney. If he is, he has been linked to, you know, a Man City-type move before. Look at the money Man City are paying for their defenders. Tierney has the potential to go for that sort of money. You know, if we're talking... What seventy five million they're looking at paying for some of their centre halves? If they're going to buy another defender from somewhere else in the league like Arsenal, that is going to be the money they're talking about. So really, twenty million for a Scottish left back is a bargain if he's got the potential to go on and be at that value. Look at Ayer. I know he's in the last year of his contract. He's still very young. He's still got a big career ahead. So he's a very talented player. Clubs have to be looking at that and thinking of the potential there that they can then capitalise on and make money like Arsenal could probably do with Tierney. So it's important that we don't undersell our assets. And if Lowell does have that going for him, then then I hope he uses it in the negotiations. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about the football. We know that there's been a lot of other serious goings on uh, in and around the life of Peter Lowell. And uh, so hopefully the investigation is going well and they catch the the people or person involved in the firebombing attack at Peter Lowell's home um, which you know was just absolutely uh, heinous in, in, in an attempt to I don't know uh, you know intimidate or send a message who knows what the circumstances are but we can't even say it was football related and I doubt very much that it is but it just shows you how dangerous some of these people are so hopefully him and his family are well Paul Boyle comes in to say Eddie will sort it out, stay calm well Paul I hope you're right um, when you're looking at Lawrence because you have been I would guess on a Celtic state of mind Neil Lennon's biggest supporter you you have been Neil Lennon's biggest supporter, when Eddie Howe comes in uh, Neil Lennon's tenure at Celtic will be a thing of the past um, how will we look back on it because we always talk about that you know we talk about the Brendan Rodgers period how it ended was bad I think how it ended with Neil Lennon was bad in different ways but a lot of Celtic fans and I'm just waiting for the emoticons to come up on the comments a lot of the Celtic fans that uh, get you know engage with Axom they've got a kind of different attitude now around Brennan Rodgers because they found out more around the circumstances surrounding him leaving the club others who may have been part of his reasons for leaving and yet I still don't think he left under the best circumstances and in the best way do you think we'll, we'll look back on Neil Lennon's uh, tenure differently maybe a, a year from now I think you know we'll always look back on his time as a, as a player fondly won't we uh, servant to the club the abuse he's had to take in Scottish society he's been ridiculous uh, as a manager you know there's things already coming out not picking his backroom staff not get players he wanted whether or not you think it was the right appointment it was definitely I think trying to do the job in many respects with one tied hand tied behind his back which seems to have been the, the reason the previous manager left as well uh, which is one of the reasons we were calling for a director of football and changing structure at the club we're never going to forget we didn't win 10 in a row this time but and we won't forget you know Lenny was kind of part of that Celtic team that or management team that, that didn't deliver but I think we will look back on him you know as a treble winning manager you know it will be fondly you know as time goes on the, the, the pain of this season will subside I, I don't think there's any doubt on that but you know I think it's always going to be looked back on as a season of what could have been you know I, I don't think that's ever going to go away but the pain will 
be a bit less. But in general, I think Natasha's touched on it. You've touched on it when he was appointed, uh, allegedly in the shower, and then the news broke. A lot of people thought he's not the right manager, and people may, you know, might feel kind of vindicated on that. Uh, but I, I think, yeah, I, I think the anger perhaps will subside, if not the, the regret of failing to deliver. What do you think, Natasha? Because <clears throat> I'm not being bitter here, but I will never get over the uh, part that Neil Lennon played. You know, because I know that there were certain elements that uh, obviously were difficult. But I mean, let's look at levels of difficulty here. You can't have that player, but we'll give you a five million one in his place. Um, and you know, the the what he's got at his disposal is a quadruple treble winning side. Um, get a tune out of them, you know, because that's your job. So I'm not at the stage yet where I'm going to be looking back and thinking that uh, it's not been tainted. I think it has been personally. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Paul. It's going to take a long period of time for me to to get over what happened this season, if ever, and probably leaning towards never. Um, There's absolutely no taking away what Lennon achieved for the club as a player and then as as a manager prior to this season. It was excellent. He has unfortunately tainted his own reputation and his own legacy by staying for longer than he should have. And at the moment, you know, maybe was it arrogance? Did he really think that he was the right man to for the job? Did he think that Neil Lennon was the best place for, person for Celtic to achieve what they needed to this season? Maybe he did think that. But he wasn't. The signs were there. The Celtic fans made their opinion known. And he has tainted a very, very good legacy in the mind of a lot of fans. And it will take a long time to get over because this is something that the fans wanted so much. And he will always be the manager who didn't achieve it that's going to be massively difficult to get over. Do I think it will ease in time? Yes. I think that, you know, as we look back, you know, history will will eradicate some of the pain of losing out on this season. But I don't think it'll ever be forgotten. His name will always be associated with that now. Well, there we go. Uh, hopefully the next time we uh, catch up on the Tuesday Bulletin, that it will be a little less like Groundhog Day. We'll also sort out the, the lighting for Lawrence, uh, give him a bit of colour next week. But uh, thanks, everybody, for getting involved in the comment section. That's on Twitter, Facebook and on YouTube. And thank you to Natasha Meikle and Lawrence Cornley for once again joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. 
people all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 